Welcome to the Global Development Institute podcast. Based at the University of Manchester, we're Europe's largest research and teaching institute addressing poverty and inequality. Each episode will bring you the latest thinking, insights and debate in development studies. Hi, I'm Dr Kieran Sims, a lecturer in development studies at James Cook University. I'm here today as lead editor of the Routledge Handbook of Global Development, which was just published in February 2022. And I'm speaking to you from the lands of the Gimoi, Wallabara, Yadinji and the Irukandji people in beautiful far north Queensland. This podcast is the final episode of a three-part series discussing the handbook. And today I'm joined by two other members of the book's editorial team, Dr. Albert Salamanca, who is a Senior Research Fellow at Stockholm Environment Institute's Bangkok office, and Dr. Pichamonio Fantong, a Senior Lecturer in International Relations and Development at the University of New South Wales, Canberra. Thank you, Albert and Pichamon, for joining me. Thanks to you too, Karen, and um, congratulations for getting the handbook out. And um, good morning to my friend here, Pichuman. Uh, thank you very much, Kieran. Thank you, Albert, as well. Great to be here. Great. Thank you both. Your section of the book is titled Sustainability and Environment. It's a really fabulous section. And I wonder perhaps if I could start with you, Albert, can you tell us a little bit about what your section is all about? Thanks, Karen. So the section that we me and Pitchman um, work on was on sustainability and development. So we, we really try to um, unpack, if you like, in this, in, this, in this section, critical debates. And we also look at influential concepts in sustainability and development. And to try to, to understand why, despite decades of doing development, quote unquote, doing development, um, and so many permutations of different terms about around sustainability and development. So the recent one, of course, we're in the, towards the end of it, which is on sustainable development. We're still not getting to sustainability. So our intention really was to try to, to sign new light, if you like, on, 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 on these two concepts on sustainability and development. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Albert. Uh, Pichamon, would you like to add anything to that? Could you tell us perhaps what the chapters in the section add up to collectively? Sure. We intentionally asked um, a range of scholars and practitioners who come from very different disciplinary and professional backgrounds to pen different chapters for the section. And the idea there was for us to try and capture um, the range of challenges, the big debates um, that define uh, the n- nature of the field um, that we are in, uh, which obviously is development, um, but of course appreciating the importance of environmental sustainability um, in these discussions. And so collectively speaking, um, altogether, the chapters are very different. They speak about topics that are interrelated, but nonetheless touch on um, different sets of actors, different sets of um, problems, um, but nonetheless, altogether, they do really highlight um, the importance of environmental considerations uh, when we think about human development. Um, and it also raises uh, the question that I think we really need to seriously consider, which is, 
what does it mean for us to um, develop sustainably? Um, and what does sustainable human development uh, itself mean? Um, and so in light of that, they really do, again, capture the range um, of issues that we are faced with today in light of both the COVID-19 pandemic, but also um, clearly the very big problem of climate change. Mm, absolutely. Thank you, Pichamon. I mean, s- sustainable development has been the way that development should be practised since the very beginning. But, you know, as you mentioned, in the context of climate change, it's also a challenge that becomes more and more significant with every passing day. Is there, I wonder, one or two chapters that you found uh, particularly interesting? I'm sure I'm sure you found them all interesting, but is there one or two that, that stood out for any reason? Maybe, Albert, is there any for you? Yeah, I've, I've got actually two. One of them was Ellen Kelman's planetary boundary concept. The reason I'm actually interested in this one because uh, Ellen criticized or critiqued the whole idea of planetary boundaries, especially its failure to address equity. And not only that, he also actually criticized sort of my organization's stand on the whole idea of planetary boundaries. So it, it was an interesting read because it gave me a different point of view on how to, to look at the concept of planetary boundary. So to me, that was really um, an, inter- an interesting journey to be working with Ellen on this particular chapter and also being critical along the way. Uh, the second one is that the, the, the chapter by uh, Lavinia and Rios on, uh, on the Anthropocene. The reason I like this concept is, uh, is again also taking what is sort of globally known, globally accepted, very topical, and, and sort of took a different twist by actually arguing that maybe it, we didn't call it the Anthropocene, but we call it the capitalism, given the dominance of capital in development, and also by injecting a very global South perspective, because Lavinia and Reyes are from the Philippines. They both work for, for NGOs. In fact, Lavinia is a human rights lawyer. And um, so together, they, they provide a sort of a, a grounded perspective on these global topics, which are heavily being discussed, heavily being critiqued. But we haven't really sort of uh, listened to other voices on the ground who have other perspectives on what this, what the Anthropocene is all about. So to me, Ilan Kelman's chapter and Lavinia and Reyes' chapter are, are the two exciting ones for me. Wonderful. Thank you, Albert. And you've touched on there too the the immense diversity of authorship within your section, and that's something I want to come back to. It's something I really value from your section. But Pitchamon, maybe I'll check check in with you first. Was there any chapters that really spoke to you? It's a really difficult question to answer, Kieran, because as I was reading through all of the chapters again in preparation for this podcast, Um, it occurred to me again that each of the chapters have their respective strengths and it really does depend on what what you would be wanting to use that chapter for. So, of course, we have a very strong pedagogical um, focus in in, in this volume. Um, And so really each of them, I think, are really nicely tailored um, to people who are teaching or lecturing about um, the different topics. Uh, That being said, um, when I reading through it again, I think Look, I, I like and enjoyed all of the chapters in working with the authors. Um, uh, at the same time, 
I think to me, I was intrigued by some of the ideas presented in the chapter on Indigenous rights, new technology and the environment, um, in large part because it's a topic that we don't really talk too much about um, in the environmental sustain sustainability and development space. And so it was really interesting to see how these authors brought these different uh, themes together and how important new technology is when it comes to Indigenous rights um, and the role of Indigenous communities in protecting the environment. Um, similarly, uh, the chapter on transnational environmental crime and development is also very interesting because these are two kind of these two these are two areas that we don't really hear in relation to each other very often. Um, and so to think about the implications of transnational environmental crime, which has really been increasing uh, in this region, especially with COVID-19, um, and what the implications are for development, um, again, is, is, it's just really interesting, uh, a very interesting combination. So, yeah, those, I think, would be my two picks, um, but not because I don't find any of the other chapters uh, really interesting and very insightful. Hey, they all really are. And so to anyone who's listening to this, uh, please do go out and read all of them. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Simon. I might follow it up with, with an equally challenging question for you, perhaps, which is to ask if there was anything uh, that didn't make it into the section that you would really like to see in a follow-up edition. That's an interesting question to ask, uh, Karen, because the subject area is global development. Right? So and, and I think you can only be restricted by the amount that can be published at uh, given time and also a uh, given space. But that said, I think, and, and this is, I'd like to tackle on this one also later, maybe in, in, in the next uh, uh, discussion, but to me, more voices from the global south, because still, no matter how proactive we were in, in, in reaching out to different authors uh, from different disciplines, whether they're practice-oriented or in the academe, a lot of the scholarships still being dominated by um, authors or scholars from, from the global north. And maybe we also need to sort of maybe try to understand why that is the case and why despite the amount of effort, we're still not able to get a lot of authors from the global south to be part of this conversation of the, of the authorship of the global handbook, I think is, is, um, is a challenge. And I think it's a worthwhile challenge to take if you really wanted to understand why development is the way it is. Yeah, wonderful. I think that's a really uh, important point to make. Thank you, Albert. Simon, were you going to add anything? No, I, I completely agree with Albert on that one. I think it's a never-ending endeavour that we have to all be a part of in terms of ensuring greater representation from the global south or the majority world. Um, and in light of that, I think we were able to, to try and um, ensure that diversity of thinking Nonetheless, um, there were a couple of authors and chapters that we unfortunately weren't able to include, primarily because they weren't able, uh, they didn't have the time to, to, they wouldn't, they weren't able to contribute in time um, as a result of the whole COVID-19 pandemic. Um, one in particular that I felt was, would have been great to have as part of the lineup of chapters in our section was one on colonialism, development and the environment. 
And again, because it's a, a topic that we don't hear too much about, um, and of course, people these days are, especially in, um, you know, if we think about the African continent or Southeast Asia, there have been re-emerging um, debates on neocolonialism and what that means for environmental sustainability and development, especially vis-a-vis the really big, um, the large-scale development projects that we see uh, popping up around um, the global south. So in light of that, I, it would have been great to have had that particular topic represented, um, I think, in our section, but it wasn't really possible um, for very understandable reasons. Um, and so hopefully, if there were to be a follow-up, uh, that would be one that I would be really keen to have um, inv- included. Yeah. Also, if I may add on that conversation, uh, Kieran, I think it helps also to be really intentional. Because I remember I had this conversation with Pichamon. We had a spreadsheet. And also because of the instruction that you had for us, to list down sort of the topics, the authors, uh, according by gender, by, by countries. So, for example, we had to restrict our selection of authors from the Philippines because there were already two at that point. And then we had to make sure also that we seed other authors to other sections, uh, given that maybe putting them into our, our, our section will just change the, the balance. So being intentional in the, in the design, I think, really helped in, in, in the outcome that we've got. Because if we were not, if we were just directed by what's um, uh, available, then then... Our, our intention to come up with a handbook that sort of represents different voices, different abilities would be hampered. Okay, fantastic. So I might pick up on, on this topic of representation because it was one of the overarching aims for the handbook that a global development handbook would have global authorship and to have a, a large number of authors contributing from the majority world. And your section in particular really excelled in that way and what I wanted to ask you was how your ability to achieve that aligns in any ways with either with your own positionality or or with about how you approach your research or or perhaps the locations of your where your research is based what were some of the factors that contributed uh, perhaps it's values based that contributed to you being so successful uh, in reaching out to some lesser known but really valuable scholars, but also some well-known scholars who who may not have otherwise been given the opportunity. How did you go about approaching your different authors? Yeah, for me, um, um, I used personal connections and understanding of their work and also understanding the value of their work and why they need to be heard globally. So I was really trying to be proactive and reach out. Of course, I can only be limited in, in my network and also the authors uh, in the region that I've, I've read, I've interacted with. So I tried to reach out to them and see whether they would be interested and, and bring them in and, 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 and convince them of the value of being part of this uh, handbook. So the, there was really that desire, a personal desire to reach out. And again, because of that realization that not all of them really have the same opportunities as you would be in um, if you would be a scholar in, 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 um, in, in the global north. So, and I, I feel there was an opportunity there because there was really a desire in the handbook to be that uh, um, 
proactive and that sort of uh, democratic in the way we select our our authors. So I sort of exploited that opportunity. Great, and Pitchamon? Excluding the introduction that Albert and I wrote, um, we have altogether 13 chapters in our section. Originally, it was looking more like 20, I think, at one point, Albert, uh, because we had reached out to so many people and and, um, people who were genuinely enthusiastic about this uh, undertaking and and being part of this handbook. Um, Again, because of COVID-19, a a number of authors weren't able to contribute in the end. Uh, Nonetheless, much like Albert, um, the way in which I reached out to the people um, that I really wanted to to see represented in this handbook um, were people part of my own professional networks, um, but they were also people who were being recommended uh, by my colleagues. Um, and so people who I didn't necessarily know, but who, who ne- nevertheless um, are are emerging or leading scholars in their in their own right. Um, and so I think that snowballing technique was very useful in this particular instance because it exposed me um, to new scholars um, whom I never encountered before, but who were nonetheless doing really exciting work um, in their respective um, fieldwork sites. Uh, at the same time, it's Albert and I, um, we've had many of these conversations as we were thinking about how to structure the section and everything, but aside from ensuring geographical diversity. And one thing that people, I think, will immediately note is the fact that there is a bit of a concentration on scholars who are located in Southeast Asia or who work on Southeast Asia. Um, And this is by virtue of the fact that both Albert and I, of course, um, have worked extensively in the region. Uh, We did reach out to um, scholars from other regions as well, from South America, from Africa. Um, Again, they had pre-existing commitments or were so badly impacted by COVID um, that they weren't able to contribute. So again, if there were to be a follow-up volume, I think that would be what we would want to aim for. Um, But aside from the geographical diversity consideration, we were also very mindful of ensuring gender, um, gender diversity as well. Uh, in the nature of the authors, uh, uh, with respect to the authors that we had reached out to, um, but also their kind of, we wanted that for there to be a mix uh, between uh, established, uh, well-known scholars, um, but also emerging well-known scholars, um, and to ensure that there are uh, kind of generational diversity as well. Um, because, of course, one of the key um kind of important considerations when it comes to talking about climate change and environmental sustainability is the importance of intergenerational equity um, and to ensure that there is constant dialogue between between all of the generations. Uh, But so that's essentially what we had tried to accomplish in the section. And so it was very much aligned with our own values, I would dare to say for Albert as well here. Um, (laughs) And the the focus really on ensuring that people's lived experiences as scholars, but also as practitioners shine through um, in the contributions. Fantastic, thank you, Pichamon. These are all quite common aspirations within the development studies and international development work nowadays, but I think you both did a really great job of turning those aspirations into something meaningful. So thank you again for doing that. I didn't have any any other further questions for you. I did want to take the opportunity again to, to thank you both for all the work that you did in, in bringing the handbook together and to recognise that along with the rest of the 
editorial team, the handbook wouldn't have made it over the finish line if it wasn't for your for all your contributions and all the, the hard work that you did. So thank you very much again. It's been a pleasure to work together. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we close? You might have a new book you want to plug. You might want to say hi to your mum. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> Hello, mum. Um, can, <laughs> can I quickly jump in on that note? Um, I think, uh, and if I may speak on your behalf as well, Albert, here, um, I think we both just also wanted to really thank you, all of the contributors um, who did who were able to contribute and those who weren't able to, but were nonetheless enthusiastic um, and constantly responded to our emails. I mean, none of this would have been possible without um, their work and their contributions. Um, And it really was the case that we were all working under conditions that were less than ideal. Um, I mean, with COVID-19 and everything. So it was really amazing to see how committed people were to ensuring that the section and the handbook um, more broadly across uh, that finish line, um, but also the the quality um, of the contributions um, that the authors were able to produce um, is, is really amazing. And again, I can only really encourage anyone who's listening to this, uh, whether you are a scholar, a practitioner, or a student um, who's interested in environmental sustainability issues, please do check it out, um, because the people who have contributed uh, to this volume really know what they're talking about. Um, But most importantly, they've written each of the chapters in a way that is accessible um, and ensures that you go away not only with a deeper theoretical um, and scholarly understanding of the debates and challenges at hand, but that you also have um, an understanding or insight into the policy and uh, pedagogical implications as well. Thanks, Alep Pitcherman. From my side, uh, Karen, I'd really like to thank you and the other uh, editors for for this opportunity. And of course, I have to thank my co-editor for the section, um, Pitcherman, especially for during the last leg of preparing, finalizing the the various uh, chapters when I was uh, not available because I was on leave and had a few things in, in the Philippines. But one thing I want to highlight and picking up on the points raised by Pitcherman is the handbook is not just a collection of ideas, but it's also a collection of approaches on how to teach those ideas. So if readers are interested in finding out, like if they, they would have a lecture or they have a talk or, or, you know, they have engagements around the topics discussed in the handbook, there's really opportunities there to to go through some of the suggested readings, suggested approaches on how to teach them so that we can sort of enliven the way we, the the ideas um, contained in the handbook. And if they work, maybe it's good to receive feedback that they work. If they don't work, then maybe it's good to receive feedbacks as well so that the next iteration of the handbook could be improved in terms of each uh, uh, pedagogical uh, contribution. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you once again, Dr. Albert Salamanca from the Stockholm Environmental Institute. And thank you once again, Dr. Pichamon Yeofentong from the University of New South Wales. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you.